Welcome to the One Life Community Church Podcast. We're glad you're joining us. Our mission is to lead people to follow Jesus in everyday life. We're on a journey together to live and learn what it means to love God and love people. Our hope is that God would supernaturally use this message to influence and encourage others to follow Jesus. Good morning to all you guys here and everybody online. Um, Ronnie just saved y'all. Like, he just saved because I had this big introduction plan, and I was going to attempt some jokes that probably weren't going to be funny, but since he already did that, we can just pray and dive into the Word, which is what I'm looking for. So, would you guys pray with me? God, we, we thank you that we can be here now worshiping together with chaos all around us, with division, with pandemic with all that's going on you have allowed us enabled us to come together and to worship you in song we get ready to worship you in in word and lord we're just grateful we're grateful that we realize that we need you and so i pray lord that in this moment you would open the eyes and the ears of our heart that we would be able to receive your word. And I pray for me that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, for you are my rock and my redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Black lives matter. Blue lives matter. All lives matter. Democrat, Republican, left, right, liberal, conservative, All of these words are like a grenade. Mention them in any room and you get an explosion of various emotions. But here's the deal. We don't have to have 2020 vision to see that everything in our country is divided. Like we are separated. There's all kind of tension. There's all kind of division. It's it's a mess out there. And it's not so much that we don't agree on everything. The problem seems to be we can't agree on anything. And we have the body, this agent, the church, that can, can lead in unity and, and lead in healing, that can, can bring things back together. But we've been exposed through all of this stuff. While the country is experiencing racial tension and division, the church has come face to face with the fact that Sunday is the most segregated day of the week. We have the white church, we have the black church, we have the Hispanic church, and if the Bible says that judgment starts with the household of God, then there is some housekeeping that we need to do in certain areas in the church. Now, Before we get to the text, I want to deal with this, what I just said about the church leading in unity, because you might say, well, what does that look like? Here's the deal. I'm an old country boy from the backwoods of Arkansas. I was raised in a poor class, working class family. First job I had was hauling hay. After that, I picked purple hole peas and sold those by the bushel. Each year before school started, What I would do is sell watermelons out of my grandfather's farm so that I could have money to buy clothes. That's a small picture of my story. I have a friend named Danny Cremines 
He's a great father, great husband, even better man. Wonderful to his family, do anything for anybody. His story is completely different from mine. Got a friend, a brother named Scott Slater, Andy Coomer, Chris Bloxon, Logan, Whitfield. I'll lay my life down for any one of those men. And I don't, I don't say that because it sounds good. I say it because it's real. And I won't lay my life down because Danny likes Kobe Bryant like I do. Or because Scott loves his wife like I love my wife. Or because Logan likes baseball and I like baseball. It's deeper than that. It's, it's a union that we have in Christ. We love the Lord and it brings us together. And the world out there knows nothing of that love. Jesus said it like this. They will know that you're my disciples by the love that you have for one another. And so we take that message. We share that message and we show that love to the world and watch it unite. But before we get there, before we get out there, there's some questions that we got to ask in here. And when I say in here, I'm not just talking about one life. I'm talking about the church, Big C Church in general, because I'm talking about unity and all of these type of things. We got to ask the question, is unity really important? Like, is, is unity a big deal? Is it important? Because if it's not, then, man, we can just continue doing what we're doing. Continue with the status quo. There's no reason to ask any questions. Why change anything? But if it is, if unity is important, then we got to ask what or who do we unify around? And so the, the wonderful thing about being Christian is that we don't have to guess on these things. We can just go to scripture and find out what the answer is. So this is like an open book test. I'm going to ask you to go with me to Psalms chapter 133. Over the last few weeks, we've been in this series called the Songs of Ascent. And these, these songs are, are songs that the people of God would sing three times a year. They would travel up to Jerusalem to worship. And on their way up to worship, they would sing these songs. There's 15 of them. And they're in the book of Psalms, chapters 120 through 134. And today, we're going to be in chapter 133. And the song says... Did y'all think that I was about to sing that when I just said that? (laughs) I told the first service, if I were to start singing this song, I promise you nobody would ever come back. (laughs) Psalm 133. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head, running down on the head of the, or, or the beard on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessings, life forevermore. Right off the bat, behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. We get the answer to the question. Of course, unity is important. And what I want us to do is, is I want us to get in the shoes of the people during biblical times that were walking up to Jerusalem and they were singing these songs. I want us to see the sights. I want us to smell the smells. I want us to feel the emotions that they felt when they were singing these songs. Because this, this, this is what they did. And, and we also need to understand that 
It talks about how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. That wasn't always a reality. There were families that weren't able to join together or live together side by side because the land couldn't support them all. One example of that would have been this guy by the name of Abraham. He had his wives, he had his servants, he had his children, and his nephew Lot, who had his wife, his his servants, his children. The land couldn't support them all, and so Lot had to move into Sodom. But then there were other families that were able to dwell together in unity. And so I think that's important because when you think about this, look back on biblical times. We have these people walking up to Jerusalem, singing this song, who aren't able to dwell together in unity. What are the emotions that they felt as they sang how good and pleasant it is? Was was it a longing, a desire, a deep desire to to dwell in unity with their brothers and sisters? Was it more of a prayer that they cried out to God? Or think about those who were dwelling together in unity. Feel the joy that they must experience as they sing this song, the thankfulness to God because they realize that he has provided. So we we see this picture of, of, of unity being good and biblical community being good. And it's not just here. This is throughout scripture. From the very beginning, when God created everything, remember he said, God did this and it was good. God did that and he said it was good. But then he created man and he said, it's not good for man to be alone. So he created woman. So this this picture of unity and biblical community is a good thing. And what the psalmist does is he paints two pictures for us to see. Look at verse 2. Says so unity is it's it's like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. This this imagery of of oil running down on the beard of Aaron is it's it's a consecration. It's a a being set apart for the purpose of God. That's what this imagery is. And so what the psalmist is saying in a very real sense is that unity is it's part of the purpose of God. And, and when we come together unified, not uniformity, but unified, that, that that's a part of God's purpose. But he keeps going in verse, keep reading in verse 3, it says, It's like the dew of Hermon which falls on the mountains of Zion, for the Lord has commanded the blessing, life evermore. What is it talking about, this dew falling? What would they have thought? As they heard this, as they sang this, what did it mean then? And so you have this picture of dew falling on the ground, making the ground fertile to grow crops. This is a really good thing because what this means is that this dew is falling and it's making the land fruitful. Remember, they couldn't just go to Brookshire's or Piggly Wiggly. Y'all probably never heard of Piggly Wiggly either. That's where I'm from. What's the grocery store around here? United. They couldn't just go to United. So it would be a big deal that the ground is fruitful and can grow. So this is what scripture is saying. Not only is unity important, unity is the purpose of God. Unity is fruitful for us. And we see it all throughout scripture. Okay, we, we got it. Next question. Who or what do we unify around? Well, of course, everybody in here would say Jesus. 
Of course we would say Jesus, but this is where I want to be clear. This this unity, this picture that that they are singing about, that I'm talking about, it's, it's not this casual cultural Christianity where we just come to church on Sunday, read our Bible a couple of times a week, bless our food. It's not what it's talking about here. Are you consumed with Jesus? Are you captivated by Jesus? Do you you desire Jesus the the way that David did? Listen to the words of Psalm 63. David says, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. Feel the desire. He says, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I've, I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you, so I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed, when I meditate on you in the watches of night. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy my soul clings to you your right hand upholds me do you love Jesus like that do you meditate on him as you go to sleep do you meditate do you think of him when you wake up in the morning do you want more of Jesus this is real this is an angst this is a longing this is a desperation for Jesus this is the love that unites us So let's be real. Let's ask a question that most good, holy church folks wouldn't ask in church. Like nobody would ever say this question out loud, but I'm going to say it. Why in the world would I love Jesus like that? Of course, we would never say that because, I mean, we Christian folk. But why? Why would I want him like that? Why would I love him like that? And see, here's the deal. I knew that you were going to be curious about that. And so I was prepared with the answer. So I want to share a story with you. And I'm going to ask you to follow me. Don't check out at any part of the story. Because if you check out, you'll be in a bad place. I need you to hear the story from the beginning to the end. So, So remember, unity is important. We're unified around the love that we have for Christ. But why would we love him so passionately and so strongly that he would unify us above and beyond all things? And here's the answer, so follow me on this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was formless and void, and the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the deep. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God created the sun, the stars, the moon, and hung them in the sky. He separated the water from the dry land. He created the birds of the sky, the fish of the sea, and the things that creep and crawl upon the earth. Then God said, let us create man in our image and in our likeness. Now, this 
this, this wording, this picture of man and the image and likeness of God, what that means is, is that you and I have a unique ability to relate to God in a way that no other part of creation can. The God of the universe. And we can relate to him in a way that nothing else can. God said it wasn't good for man to be alone. So he created woman, placed them in the garden, gave them freedom, but gave them boundaries. Said you can eat of any tree that you want, but do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Enter Satan. Satan says to Eve, did God really say? She takes the fruit. She eats. Gives some to her husband who was there with her. He eats. They realize that they're naked. They hear God walking in the garden in the cool of the day and they run and they hide. And this is where I want to pause. Because there's a word for us here today. I think that we can relate to Adam and Eve in that moment. Either we've been in our sin and hiding or some of us in a room this size, if we're honest, maybe in sin right now. And this this hiding is not just from God, first it's from people. It affects our relationship. We're standoffish. All of our relationships are surfaced because if they only knew the sin that I was hiding, if they only knew the things that I did, if they only knew what I was hiding in my closet, and so we keep people, we keep them at a distance. Not only that, we, we hide from God. We keep God at a distance because we're ashamed of the things that we've done. And we think, we look at our lives and we say, how in the world could I get to the point that I'm at now? How could I get to a place that's so dark? How could I do what I've done? How could I say what I've said? And we, we wake up in the morning and we put this fake face on and pretend that everything's okay. But on the inside, we're falling apart like a $2 suitcase. Because the sin is so heavy. But in the same way, listen to me, hear this. In the same way that God cried out, called out for Adam and Eve, is the same way that he's calling out for you. If you hear nothing else I say this morning, I need you to hear this. Listen to me. I I need you to hear this doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how far you've fallen. I I don't care what you did last night. I don't care what you did on your way to church. I don't care what you said. I don't care what you thought. No one in this room is outside the reach of God. Anyone can turn and repent and run to Him. But there's consequences for sin. God Ends out punishment to Satan, punishment to man, punishment to woman, puts them out of the garden to keep them from getting to the tree of life. It gets real interesting in Genesis chapter 5. After all of this happens, we read that Adam and Eve began to have children in their own image and in their own likeness. What does this mean? Does this mean that people are no longer in the image of God? No, we're still in the image of God. But that sinful nature has been passed on from generation after generation. And this is where we realize that your problem is not that you made a few bad decisions. And my problem is not that I made a few bad mistakes. 
Our problem is that we're spiritually separated from the God of the universe and there's nothing that we can do about it. I know that that's heavy, but I need you to hear this before we get to the next part. Our problem is that we're far apart from God. This is why the Bible says that we're born in a sin and shaped in iniquity. This is why Genesis chapter 8 says every inclination of our heart is evil from our youth. This is why Paul goes on in Ephesians chapter 2 and says you were dead in your sin. Our problem is not that we need to do better or look better. Our problem is that we're separated from God. Feel that tension. Feel that weight. Embrace it. Embrace that tension and weight and then realize, praise God, the story doesn't stop there. Because while we were lost and dead and in a dark place, God sent Jesus to be born through the Virgin Mary. To walk this earth, to grow into a man, to be tempted in every way that you and I have been tempted yet not to sin at all, to go to the cross and die. Now, if the wages of sin is death, the punishment for sin is death, but Jesus didn't commit any sin, then who did he die for? And that's when we get to the core of the gospel, that God made Jesus who knew no sin to become sin for us all. And so we realize that not only did Jesus, when he died on a cross, die for our sin, he literally died in our place because it should have been us. So if you ask me, why should we love Jesus in a, in a way that David did in Psalm 63? Why should we love him in a way that unites us above all things? If you ask me that question, I'll say what Ronnie posted on Facebook earlier this week, which is we love him because he first loved us. And then I will remind you, before the foundation of the world, he set his affections on you. And, and some of us would say, but I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy. And you know what, you're not, but we're made worthy by the love. The reason why we're worthy is because Jesus loves us. He wants us. And so we're unified around him, around our love for him. And all of that other stuff. Liberal, conservative, Democrat, Republican, left, right. It doesn't matter because when you love Jesus the way this tells us to love Jesus, it supersedes all of that stuff. Flowing from Christ is a love that we have from each other. And flowing from that is compassion and empathy and all of those beautiful things. It supersedes everything else. And so we don't have to agree on anything except for the fact that Jesus lived, died, and rose again. That's the gospel. It makes no difference to me if you're Democrat or Republican. Do you love Jesus? Do you know the grace, the mercy of Jesus? That's what unites us. We take that message to the world and watch things change. Whitfield, we talk about leading people to follow Jesus in everyday life. That's how we lead them. We share that word and we show that love. So as the band comes up, I want you to know that everything I just said, my goal is not for us to say, okay, let's go out of here and do something better. 
I, I want to do this better or do that better. No, that's not the goal. What I, what I want each of us to do, I want us to ask one question. I want us to ask the question, do I truly, do I truly love Jesus? Do I truly know the saving grace of Jesus? And my point is not to have anyone question that salvation. It's the last thing that I want you to do. But more of a, a 2 Corinthians 13 and 5 type of way when Paul says, examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. And I just want you to consider, to ask the question, do I really love him in that way? And one of two responses will happen. Either God will confirm that you and I belong to him and we'll fall down on our face and we'll worship him. Or maybe we'll realize that we've been playing games. And for the first time in our life, he'll open our eyes. And we'll surrender everything to him. And we'll fall down on our face and worship him. The God of the universe who is worthy. God, we thank you so much for allowing us to come together. For allowing us to hear your word. And we simply ask that you make it come alive in us. In Jesus' name, amen.